I feel so honored that you are listening right now. Your time is valuable. And out of all the podcasts that could indulge your curiosity, today, or at least in this moment, you are choosing to be here with us. That means so much. Thank you for not just being here, but for being you. We hope that you will enjoy this interview on Curiously with me, your host, Erica Graham. On this episode of Curiously, I had the pleasure of interviewing Lizzie Velasquez. If you have been living under a rock and you don't know who she is, Lizzie Velasquez is an accomplished motivational speaker, author, and anti-bullying activist. She was born with a rare congenital condition that prevents her from gaining weight. Now, I am so uncomfortable reading the next part of the bio that Lizzie sent me, mostly because it contains gross and dehumanizing language from people online. But this language is a big part of Lizzie's motivation and story. So I'm going to honor reading what she sent me. Lizzie gained international attention when she took a stand against cyberbullying after discovering a hurtful video labeling her as the world's ugliest woman. Ugh, I seriously hate reading that sentence. I really do. Mostly because, as you will see and hear from our interview, Lizzie is such a beautiful person. Since then, Lizzie has delivered powerful TED Talks. She gives speeches and is invited to speak around the country and world. And she often advocates for self-love, embracing differences, and combating online cruelty. She's also authored three books, Lizzie Beautiful, Be Beautiful, Be You, and Dare to Be Kind. In 2017, Lizzie expanded her influence with the launch of her own digital series titled Unzipped. And she released a documentary called A Brave Heart, The Lizzie Velasquez Story in 2015. Through her partnership with T-Mobile and other brand collaborations, Lizzie's reach has extended to wider audiences, allowing her to spread her powerful message of self-love, resilience, and compassion on an even larger scale. You can see now why we are so honored and excited to host Lizzie on our podcast. I have had the pleasure of knowing Lizzie for over a decade, and I am so excited for you to know more about her too. So here it is, my interview with Lizzie Velasquez. Today on Curiously, we have Lizzie Velasquez. And I have to tell you, um, when I announced we were launching this podcast, Lizzie had reached out like good luck or something. I was like, oh my goodness, will you be on the podcast? And uh, to my surprise, she said yes, which is just like a dream to have you here, Lizzie. Thank oh. you for joining us. Of course. I got so excited when I saw your post. This is like perfect for you. 
Oh, thank you. Well, um, I had to remind myself, you know, I've known you for a while now and I have followed your journey. Um, I have all your books. I've watched your videos. You have a documentary. Um, but our listeners might not know as much about you. So for my first question for you today yeah. is um, really more for our listeners. And that is, what was it like growing up as Lizzie Velasquez for those who do not know your story yet? Well, it's funny because I feel like growing up, I was just Lizzie and, and that was it. I still sort of see myself as that at like 34 years old now. But I was born with a rare syndrome that doesn't allow me to gain weight. I wasn't officially diagnosed until the age of 25. Um, I was diagnosed with neonatal prodroid syndrome, uh, which basically means it's made up of two different conditions made into one. Uh, one of them is lipodystrophy, which doesn't allow you to gain weight. So that's something I've been we've been used to since like literally the day that I was born. Um, I had two pounds ten ounces, um, and every Every test and scan or whatever they did was completely normal. I was just very, very small. Um, and so the, with the lipodystrophy, I can't store body fat. Um, so no matter what I eat, how much I eat, how often I eat, my body just cannot keep it on. Um, I've never weighed over like 72 pounds my whole life, which is crazy. Um, the other part of the condition is called Marfan syndrome. I didn't know that Marfan's is fairly common um, until I did some research and realized that it is it is something that a lot of people have, but the type that I have is very rare. So with Marfan's, um, it affects three main things, your eyes, your bones, and your heart. Uh, so with my bones, it's, it's a little hard for me to believe just because I've never... When you look at me, you would think I'm very fragile, but I've never broken a bone in my life well my collarbone on a trampoline accident so that was like not not even it's my condition but um with my bones it i guess it just i don't really know how it affects them um with the eyes i am blind in my right eye we're not sure if it's because of marfans or if it was just something that happened but i lost my vision when i was four years old in my right eye um the heart of course is something that is pretty scary it's a pretty big deal uh, but basically, I run the risk of my aortic valve rupturing um, sort of at any time. Um, and when it happens, there is a small chance that you can get to the hospital in time um, to have it repaired. But more often than not, it's sort of a too late kind of scenario, which sounds absolutely terrifying. Um, but I look at it more of I'm happy that I know now because we do have a game plan in place and we now know what signs to look out for. And there are definitely steps where I have regular um, heart scans every six or longer months um, if we think we need them sooner. And if there are any signs of my aortic valve getting a little bit bigger, we start on uh, blood pressure medication. So there's, there's steps that we can take. It's not just you're just sort of waiting for something bad to hopefully not happen. Um, so basically growing up, that's, that's the medical side of it. Yeah. But that really wasn't a part of a big part of my life growing up I think mostly it was just sort of trying to adjust to the world in as 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 a girl who was in a very small body that looked very different from other people and that unfortunately came with a lot of bullying and stares and whispers from not only kids my age growing up but from uh, other adults as well so 
growing up was pretty pretty interesting and scary but also amazing at the exact same time yeah i i know in a lot of your talks you talked about your first day of kindergarten speak more to what it was like going to kindergarten and the mindset that you had as a child yeah so i was my parents firstborn, and at the time my dad was um learning to be a teacher he was still in school and he was student teaching and also working at the bank at night and so he was sort of you know busy all day and once before i was born my mom was working in a daycare center but after i was born with all of these unknowns she decided that well her and my dad decided that my mom would stay home to take care of me so she could be there to monitor me and instead of keeping me alone all the time she decided to babysit two other girls my age one was my cousin one was my other i call her my very first best friend and we met when we were both six months old um and so my mom wanted me to be around other kids um for me to see that i was just like them and so instead of keeping the three of us at home she would take us to a petting zoo or to the park or to the library and so we would get to go to all of these places so during those experiences I was able to just see that I was Lizzie and I was born and raised in the Catholic church and my family has always been very involved. So I always had my, my church family, then my immediate home family, as well as I come from two very large Hispanic families where my mom has nine brothers and sisters. My dad has four sisters. They all have kids. So it's just, I come from a very, very large extended and very close family so I had this whole world where I was just sort of safe and in this bubble of just being Lizzie so going to kindergarten and mind you I was a five-year-old um I was excited and I thought this was something else that was just going to be really fun and and the timing the timing of this question is so perfect and I don't know when this will be posted but as we're recording this today it's sort of the first day of school for a lot of kids and I've been seeing a lot of kids posting um photos and seeing my friends who have kids who are starting kindergarten today and so all of the emotions have really just been hitting me today of just remembering back at that time and how excited I was and how grateful I am that I can only imagine how nervous my parents were for me at that time but they never sent me into school at any age with a sense of fear they never sent me with the notion of okay prepare yourself other kids are gonna you know be afraid of you or stare at you or do anything like that they sent me in with excitement and encouragement and love and your day is going to be amazing you're going to have so much fun unfortunately it didn't really play out like that but i'm so grateful that they didn't send me in with sort of this warning or or anything like that to where i was excited but also waiting of who's gonna pick on me first yeah um First of all, I love your family. I love I love your family because of this story, but also it was over a decade ago that I had moved to Houston in 2010 and I'd stumbled across some of your um, videos and motivational speaking. And I and I started researching you and I realized that you lived not far from me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got to meet your whole family. We all went to a Texan game together and did the whole sideline pass thing. And it was so fun. And um, also, your brother was like a boy then. And now I've noticed he's grown up. What oh, has yeah. happened? He does, He's like an adult man now. Yeah. But also like, still like a little kid in my brain. He's your little he's brother. 
that he does says, but it's just like I don't understand you sometimes. <laughs> but I I remember exactly the day that I saw your message and how excited I was, and I remember going to tell my parents like, "Oh, look who this is." And she messaged us, and I was like, "I think it's real," because at the time my story was sort of everywhere, and I was like flooded by all these messages. So I was like overly cautious of like who I was responding to. Oh, but I bet. For reason I saw yours, and I just sort of knew that like you were the right person to like message with, and we ended up <laughs> meeting. I remember going to the game. I had a cast on my leg that day, and it was like raining so hard, but it was so fun, and it was it was such a great time. Also, we were young looking back, like we were we were babies. Babies. <laughs> so different back then <laughs> and now you're like, having babies yes i have a oh my god me right now when this airs it, it will be around my due date i think so we'll see oh gosh. Um, happy for you but uh yeah i just and what i remember most about you lizzie and this is one of my questions is like i don't know if you know this but you are hilarious like i remember thinking like this girl is funny like and once I got to know you and have conversations with you, I'm like, you are funny. Where do you get your sense of humor from? Is your whole family funny? Were you born funny? I mean, I honestly, I think I was because I feel like my whole family is just like I am. And yeah. my house growing up, so I have a younger brother and sister. I'm the oldest of three. They're both adults now. But growing up when we were younger, it was sort of like you have to be on your toes because you have to have like the best comeback in the moment. So that's yeah. all I grew up knowing and like talking like that. And sometimes I have to remember like, so people might not get my humor or my sarcasm. And so I have to like, just be cautious with it. But I've made, I've made a, a like a sort of promise to myself once I started telling my story more, because at the beginning, I, I felt like I needed to always be professional and say the right thing and be yeah. serious and do all these things. And it just wasn't fun and it wasn't comfortable. And so... I told myself I'm just going to always be myself no matter who I'm speaking to, how famous they are, or if there's cameras or lights on me, I'm always going to be like myself. And so whenever I'm on stage or doing anything, I, I feel like I'm the exact same person on and off whatever I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just how I was sort of raised, I guess. Yeah, I think that's why people gravitate towards you and why You've had such a successful message is because you are yourself you, and you can feel that there's a comfortability with who you are that is contagious and it's it's what i think all humans strive for oh thank you yeah when my dad has started doing uh throughout the year some speaking engagements with me um mostly he comes out at the end for q a but i will leave a longer time slot but if I'm just by myself because I know him and I know he loves to talk as much as I do and just recently we went to California and I was speaking and he went up with me and it, it ended up just being like this comedy show slash vulnerability moments between him as a parent and me what it was like from my perspective and, and it, it was just a lot of fun but I got a lot of the same comments of like you're so funny you guys should like do comedy or something yeah I bet he has some good dad jokes right does <laughs> um you have a wildly successful ted talk i was <laughs> um as i was researching for this interview i didn't realize it has over 13 million views lizzie which is a big number although it doesn't surprise me at all and um the one of your ted talks you have a couple 
Well, one of them, the one I'm talking about is called define yourself. Lizzie, how do you define yourself today? Oh my gosh. I think that answer changes depending on the day. <laughs> to be completely honest, because I think everything, I don't think I'm ever going to be the same person ever because I'm constantly learning and growing and realizing if I'm, you know, having the wrong mindset or if I feel like this is sort of the path I should be on, but I'm being very stubborn and I'm not wanting to go down a certain path. And so I think defining myself is something that's very difficult for me. But I think today I would define myself as someone who's really just trying to figure things out as cliche as that sounds. Um, I like to think that I am in control of my life. And as you and I know, we are not in control. And sometimes I let that really get to me, but I think really learning to sit in the silence and sit in just with myself and not having any external things tell me who they think I should be. Uh, it is difficult, but also I think in this moment, I am someone who's trying to listen and trying to continue to grow because I've been very hesitant to do that recently. And so now I'm, I'm someone who's ready to just sort of surrender in a way and listen to really find out who am I now because I'm not the same person I was when I did the TED Talk. Yes. Oh, that's so true. And I think that's so hard, like, um, allowing yourself space to receive and listen. And I, I don't know, I could, for me, like, I'll say my drug of choice now is busyness. Like, when I start getting really busy yeah. and I'm not creating any space for me to connect with myself, I can go off path pretty quickly. Uh -huh. It's so easy. It's so um, easy. I think for mine, especially with the move recently and um, about a month ago, a little over a month ago, um, at around close to midnight, uh, my mom was outside with our with her dog. My dad was outside with my dog taking her for a walk and they were waiting to switch. And while she was waiting for him to come back, she didn't realize she was standing on a curve. And so she like sort of stepped over and fell on her foot completely. Um, and ended up breaking her foot severely in four places and had to have surgery and pins put in. And the very next day, within a few hours of her being in the emergency room, I had a doctor's appointment to get my blood checked because I started feeling really lethargic. And as soon as I got there, they did labs and the doctor said, um, you need to get to the emergency room like right now like life or death situation because you need to have a blood transfusion because my numbers were so low so it was a time where my dad was helping my mom and then I was by myself and I called my dad and I was like I gotta go to the hospital can you come meet me and so this was all right when we were starting to pack our lives for everything and I was still having to get ready to go travel to speak and also we're having to now help my mom and I work from home, so I was the one who was really helping her more during the day. And it was just so much. And so I completely stopped allowing myself time to sort of just sit and think. I would wake up in the morning and I would go and go and go and pack and pack and pack and, you know, make sure she had what she needed, her food, her drinks, and taking care of her, um, also taking care of the dogs. And so I never, I'd wake up in the morning and I wouldn't be back in my room until I was going to bed like super late at night, sleep, and then get up and do it all over again. And I started doing this for a while and I started realizing that I was becoming so resentful towards anyone and everyone. 
I was very short tempered. I was just in a, I was not myself and I was just very grouchy and I wasn't motivated by anything. Nothing was inspiring me. Nothing was making me happy. And I had to really realize that I don't have to do everything for everyone to feel like I'm making a difference. And I know it's like so ironic for me to say that, but I felt like I needed to continue to, whenever I had a free moment, I was wasting time. So to be able to really realize very only recently that I, it's okay for me to sit down and not worry about everyone else for an hour and everything is going to still work out the way that I should. So I, I, I guess I'm the same way of wanting to just stay busy, busy, busy. And I don't have to sit and worry about what am I going to do next? Yeah. There's that line. I don't know who said it. Um, actually it was Joan Crawford. Um, but it's, you don't have to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. And, and I always think about that. Like, you know, when you're setting yourself on fire and it doesn't work. It's the same thing as like when you're flying, it says to put, you know, in case of right. emergency, put your mask on someone else first. And it's something that you wouldn't really normally think that's like some big life lesson, but it is. And I it's... know. And then, and then you have to like relearn it all the time. Right. And yeah, we'll back yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, definitely something, something I'm, I'm learning and I haven't, I haven't talked about this before, but something that I'm really working on and realizing that I'm doing is I'm when it comes to like bad stuff online or someone saying something to me or me seeing other people being bullied or something, I've sort of built up this this wall throughout my life where I don't let any of that hate get to me. I don't let it in. I'm like, I'm like this guard standing outside of the wall. And so when I see anyone that's trying to like get to it, I'm right there because I know how to stop it. And I know how to immediately say, you know, this is, I'm not going to let this in. I'm not, I'm, I'm, these are the positive things and all that other stuff. And, and I'm good at pushing it away. But once I go back on the other side of that wall, when it's just me by myself, I don't have the tools or the resources to process what I'm feeling because I'm so on guard for myself and for other people. So right now I'm, I'm trying to figure it out and realizing that I can't continue to go out and be that guard for other people if when the lights aren't on I'm not processing and growing myself wow that's so deep it's like you're 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 learning that in the quiet space when you're alone you also have to feel some of that is that what I hear you saying it's so important yeah I used to think if you don't let it bother you or touch you or get to you then it won't affect you like if it's out of sight out of mind but the reality is it's still there. It's still in the room. And if I bring it, it's going to keep piling up and piling up. And we all know how that turns out. So for me to be able to say, you know what? I am valid in feeling sad about this. And I shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed. And now that I'm feeling sad, how am I going to process that and work through it so that I can continue? Because for so long, it was just sort of I had these blinders on. And I thought me protecting other people was going to solve my own problems. And I've learned that that does not um, work. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I've i always like been what you'd call a sensitive person. You know, like sometimes yeah. <laughs> maybe overly sensitive. Like yeah. being, I'd get my feelings hurt too easily maybe. 
And actually, Glennon Doyle Melton talks a lot about the opposite of sensitive being insensitive. Yeah. And I found that so helpful. It's like, no, it's okay to have your yeah. feelings hurt. Recently, I saw uh, this lady posted a video about me on TikTok, and she was saying all these like, really horrible, horrible things about me. This was like a week ago, so very recently. Um, and for the first time, like, I let this lady get to me for like a good three or four days. I let her get to me. And it's the only, I kept re, like replaying the video in my head. I kept going back and I was watching it over and over and I was reading the comments and, and I was crying and I was texting my best friend and I'm like, I hate that I'm letting her get to me. Uh, this is, this isn't who I am. I don't let these things get to me, but I'm so happy that I did because it was awful. And I, I felt so much anger towards what she was saying and how she was referring to me. But now I look back at it and I'm so glad I, I allowed myself to feel that because, like I said, I would have never, ever fathomed crying or saying, it's okay if it gets to you. Like, it's it's all right. She's, she's calling you an it. She's saying that you weren't a person. And when someone tells you that, it's okay that it hurts you and it's okay that it makes you feel angry and sad. And um, I shouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah, one of my questions on here, and this feels like a perfect segue for it, was... How are you able to really respond to your, I'm going to call them haters for lack of a better word. I know that's like a cliche thing to say, <laughs> but people that just go online to specifically talk negatively about you. Yeah. And I've heard you, I've heard you say in interviews that like, you know, hurt people hurt people. And you've, you've always had this lens of even if you're able to feel the hurt of it now, you've always had a posture where you have compassion for people who are not extending that same grace and compassion to you. Yeah. And um, it, there's just so much wisdom and strength in that. And you you can hold both. You can be hurt and also like not dehumanize this other person at the same time, which you do so beautifully. And I think that's why it's so powerful when you do respond not that you have to or that that's your job but um you're really you're really unique in the world that way lizzie and how you engage with these people yeah i mean i i have to credit that to my parents because there's no way without them well i feel like a part of me would fe would still be the same but they were really the ones who instilled in me this sense of empathy and compassion to even people who aren't so nice to you uh since i was very young and they adapted the way that they explained that to me, um, of course, um, depending on my age and, you know, my understanding at the time. So I've always known that they're with the good comes the bad. And unfortunately, there's going to be some people who might not know me or my situation and they'll say things that are going to hurt me. And that was a big thing right before I started social media when I was 13 or 14. Uh, that was a big thing when we decided I was going to share my story publicly. Um, that if they really sat me down and really said, you know, there is going to be people who are not so nice. And if you don't think you're emotionally ready, or if you think that this is going to be something that's really, really hurtful for you, this might not be the time for you to share your story publicly or to get online. And so I, I've always had that initial understanding. But as I got older and started becoming more aware, I started asking more questions about like, why do you want me to forgive them? doesn't make any sense like you're on my side why are you telling me i should forgive these people like you're my parents 
And so from them, what they taught me is that yes, hurt people hurt people, but I come from a very, very blessed home life um, and support system. And I'm able to have these people to show me I'm, I'm a strong believer that lessons like these start at home. And so I, I've had the people in my life who showed me at home that when people are me, you don't have to fight fire with fire. And sometimes we don't, as if they don't know my backstory, I don't know theirs. And I can't put blame on them if they don't have the same resources or teachers that I've had throughout my life. So even though I am the one that they're hurting, I have to keep in mind that they are still probably needing help. And they don't know how to channel whatever it is they're going through. And now as an adult, I'm in this position where I can be that teacher or that resource or that tool for other people who might need the help. And yes, unfortunately, I will probably often for the rest of my life or as long as I'm telling my story, be be on the other end of that where I am the one who's being told really hurtful things. And, and yes, it does suck and nobody wants to be told these things about themselves, but at the same time, when I respond to people, that is my moment of teaching. That is my moment of now I can personally be their resource. Do they always accept it at the time? Not always, sometimes they do. Maybe will they look back and see what I said or maybe will they decide to follow me and continue to see more of my posts and maybe that'll help them down the road. That's always the goal. So when I do respond, that's always my intention behind it. And I think after I've been speaking uh, professionally since 2008, 2000, 2007, 2008, so a really long time uh, now. And of course, it's it's grown a whole lot and I never would have imagined where I am now. But one of the biggest things that I, I've realized is especially when it comes to a situation where there's a bully and a victim, and I hate to use the word victim, but for this, for this, I'll, I'll say victim, um, but it's so easy for us to go to the bully and scold them right away and just say, how dare you do this? Like, that's nice. That's not nice. Go over there, go to the corner, go do all of these things and you send them away and that's it. And then you see the victim and you want to help them and reassure them and make sure they're okay and sort of that's it. But when you look at that situation, how are you, how are you changing things and how are you trying to move things forward for the next situation? Because nothing is really being taught. So for me, I always like to remind people that, that there are two parties involved when you see the situation and there isn't only one party who deserves to be shown compassion. Then people need the compassion and the empathy. And yes, it might be very difficult because you might be very hurt or you might have this anger where you don't want to help the person who's doing the hurtful things. And I completely understand that. But at the same time, if you don't show them that there is another way or the next time that they're in a situation where they want to hurt somebody else, if you're not saying, hey, maybe when this happens, press pause, take a step back and, you know, do whatever it might be. If you're not giving them the examples, they're just going to continue on the cycle of, of hurting people. So to be able to have the platform that I do, I'm so grateful for it and I don't ever want to take it for granted. And so all the occasions that I do reply to people, that's my reasoning behind it. And of course, I always get the comments of, why are you talking to them? Don't give them attention. It's not like you, why are you always only posting about people who are mean to you? Like there's so many other people who support you. And 
And yes, there are, and I'm still grateful for it, but these people need my help. And I wouldn't feel that I'm doing my job if I only post about the happy stuff. Sorry, that answer is so long. Yeah, no, that was such a good, I mean, I think it's powerful how you do address people that openly bully you. And I know I've heard you say in a message before that, um, like your story is, I don't know how you said it. You said it more eloquently than I'm going to repeat it. You said something to the effect that like, yes, your story is unique, but like listeners find themselves in you. And I, and as you're talking, our situations and contexts are different, but I almost didn't start and put out this podcast. I've been talking about doing this podcast for years. And the reason I haven't done it is because of what people are going to say. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, why does she, why? Oh, like the world needs another podcast. Why does she think she can do a podcast or... Or if I say something that offends somebody or, yeah. you know, and so as you're speaking, I just can find myself in this as well. And, um, yeah, your, your, I, I think it's so profound too, that you're in this space where you're allowing it to hurt you and humanizing them at the same time. That, that is like the definition of resilience. And that's what we all are striving for in the world I think on some level I mean it's not easy like it's a whole lot easier said than done and yeah. you know I I have instances where I can practice this often uh and and it's funny because sometimes it really works but honestly more times than not if I'll respond to a comment and not just like doing a whole post I'll respond and the comments I get are oh I was just kidding I was just hoping to get your attention or I can't believe you responded to me. I love you so much. So it's always just sort of, you never really know what the reasoning or the outcome is going to be, especially if you reply in a way that's, that's kind and not just like, oh, well, you're this and blah, blah, blah. So it, it's, it's, it's been an eye-opening experience. <laughs> yeah. You know, your documentary, A Brave Heart, the Lizzie Velasquez story, and the subtitle of that documentary is I Am Fighting Back a Different Way. Yeah. And that was going to be my question. How are you fighting back a different way? But I think we just answered that. You um, Do you have anything more to add? How are you, Lizzie, fighting back a different way? I think I think everything we just talked about is, is exactly how. And I think that's sort of the one thing that is that will always stay the same, no matter the situation or how much older I get or anything like that, just because it's sort of, it's, it's my routine and I just, I so strongly believe in it that I don't think I'll, I'll change that anytime soon. Switching um, gears here, what brings you joy and what makes you come alive today? Oh my gosh, it's going to sound so cheesy. Good. Right? Something that is bringing me joy is 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 two sort of two things. The first thing is organizing. Organizing has become oh my gosh! I just get so happy thinking about you it. Come over, come over. Yes. Oh I'm my doing, god! I'm recording this from my pantry right now. Look at my pantry. I just I need help. I just spent three days organizing our pantry completely. <laughs> it's my pride and joy. I love it so much. And you love it. You like doing oh this. My gosh! I will. Oh. Anyone who needs something organized, sign me up. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. I think this developed during quarantine because I was alone for like two years and I just decided I'm going to go crazy. This looks so fun. 
fun who are not doing anything else. And I organize everything and just, it takes away my anxiety. It takes away me worrying of like what everyone else is doing and I'm not doing. And so it, it reminds me that like I'm in control and that uh, I can, I can do this. And so whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed or anything, it's like, where's what drawer needs organizing? What can I throw out or put back together? And so doing that has been amazing. Um, the other thing is I change hobbies like every week, every week I have a new hobby and I will either start them. Sometimes I finish them. Sometimes I don't. That's a good way to live every week, a new hobby. What's, what's the flavor of the week? Um, right now it's attempting to crochet. Uh huh. It is so hard and I hate it. And it makes me so angry because I can't figure it out, but that's (laughs) also sort of why I love it. Um, so crocheting and legos lego sets legos i've never done legos in my life ever but lego sets lately oh my gosh i love them i love them so much i've done so many they're so expensive (laughs) but i love them so much i've done like the friends apartment set i've done i did a whole typewriter that like moves and like has keys and my nephews recently went to legoland and stayed overnight there maybe that's got to be in your bucket list a Lego store at the airport last week and it just took all of my self-control <laughs> and I just kept walking past it because it just I, I I don't know it's just something that when I was when I was there's so much there's like deep meanings behind these like when I was younger I always wanted to play with Legos a lot but they were too small for me to see and now um, as an adult I found ways to be able to like see them with like a magnifier and and now that I can see them it's just like oh my gosh like I'm like flaming part of your childhood yeah yeah, yeah. So I love them, and so I just will spend hours and hours just sitting there working on these Legos. Okay, I love that you organize when you're overwhelmed or stressed because I have the opposite reaction. Yeah, I do nothing, and then like filth just accumulates in my home. Yeah, and yeah. then I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. And then I have to make myself like, okay, Erica, do three loads of laundry and just put the dishes away because I'm very all or nothing. Oh, me too. Either either like I'm going to make my house perfect for an upcoming birthday party or yep. I'm going to let it go. And I need to like find the the creative middle for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I so I had I bought my, my first house in 2015 and it was amazing. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was a new build and I loved it. And it was so great. And I had my two dogs with me. Um, and then uh, COVID hit in 2020. Uh, and it, everything shut down on my birthday and the family had came over to my house and I did, none of us knew that it was going to be the last time that I left my house in a uh, in for a very 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 long time or would see my family because they were all essential workers so it was just me oh my gosh it was okay for like two weeks and then depression and anxiety and loneliness hit like no other and so for two years I was alone with my dogs and it was like one of the hardest times of my life and I didn't tell anybody I didn't tell not even my best friend knew nobody knew and I was just you probably were part of a category that really could not get COVID right I mean yeah all the unknowns and then with a new responses like oh my goodness exactly way 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 too risky for me so I I just I couldn't we couldn't risk anything and so long story short with that I ended up 
deciding that I can't be alone anymore. Uh, so I sold my house. I moved back with my parents and I, I think my, my parents initial worry was I've always been so independent and they were worried about me going from having all this independence for a very long time to now going back to living with them. But I was at a point in my life where I, I couldn't be an adult and I needed to press pause on being an adult and I needed to sort of just be taken care of. And it took me a while to be able yeah, to and stay. And you're human and you need connection yeah. like every human. Yeah. I yeah. needed, I needed to be able to say that out loud without feeling like I was less than mm. it, just saying like, I need help was like the hardest three words I've ever said. And so of course they were there and all my family was there in a heartbeat. And so I ended up living with them. Um, with everything, my brother was in his own apartment by himself. He ended up moving back with us as well because he was in the same boat as I was. So the four of us have li lived together in an apartment for two years and then now have moved recently into um, a house with a lot more space. And during that time, my first dog, Ollie, passed away in February of this year. And it's uh, just been such a... I saw that. Ollie... I, I just loved Ollie on social media. My boy. Oh my goodness. I have his ass. Dogs are children. Dogs are Honestly, children. I've, I've oh. never experienced. It's the same love. Yes, it is. It is. I've never experienced grief like this before. And I've had very close loved ones who have passed away. But with him, it's been a grief like I've never, I've never felt before. And I, I, I think experiencing, I, I say all of this because I, I'm learning that it's okay to say that you need help. I'm learning that it's okay to be vulnerable, even more vulnerable than, than I feel like I was sort of putting on a show that I was being vulnerable, but I really wasn't because I wasn't fully mm -hmm. being honest with myself for one, uh, and with other people. And so now, now I feel like I'm back at the surface, if that makes sense. And now like, I'm like, I'm good. And now it's like, okay, now what? Now where is going to be my next step? It's interesting that you talked about vulnerability and kind of performance because I was in group therapy for a number of years. And I'll never forget the therapist told me, she said, Erica, you're really good in this room at talking about old places of vulnerability and how you've overcome them, but you never bring what you're struggling with today into the room. I just want you to be aware of that. And I was like all offended. I was like, what are you talking about? I, 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 yes, I do. And then I read, then the next couple sessions, I realized, oh, yeah, like what am I struggling with right now today? Like I like talking from a healed place. Yeah. I think it's Nadia Boltzweber that talks a lot about the difference between speaking from our open wounds and scars. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I completely get it. It's, it's hard because I'm so good at avoiding things that I don't want to talk about or things that I'm scared to talk about or I don't really want to admit, I'm so good at avoiding it and just pretending it's not there. But now like I'm I'm becoming more of like a rip the band-aid off kind of girl. Um, and just like it's gonna hurt for a second, but I just gotta say this out loud and then I'll figure it out. And Right. That doesn't have to always be announced to everyone. Like just like being exactly. vulnerable with the people in the room that you're with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay, so I asked you what is bringing you the most joy, and I was not expecting those answers. I love <laughs> organizing your pantry. Come to Houston tomorrow, please. Um, on the flip side of that, what makes you exhausted and lonely? Ooh, 
you know, myself, I do it to myself. Because I don't think anyone intentionally wants to make you feel lonely or make you feel like so tired. But there was a point, um, there was a point where I started feeling like I needed to be everything for everyone. And I think that's such a common feeling of any age, no matter who you are, what you're doing and not allowing myself to sort of just sit with me has has definitely been one of the biggest things that makes me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm alone. And it's not just that. I think the other biggest thing is comparison. And that sort of just leads, it'll make me spiral and lead me down a dark, dark hole if I allow it to. And it's so easy because it can happen when you're scrolling through Instagram or when you're on any social media and you're looking at, you know, your friends or strangers that you don't even know. And I get so caught up in comparing myself to people who I never know will probably never meet and I'm I'm telling myself why aren't I why am I 34 and I'm back with my parents or why am I not married right now or why am I not having kids like all of my other friends so there are times where I get caught up in in doing that and it's funny because when I was younger the comparison was more why don't I look like them and now the comparison is why why am I not doing what they're doing and now like that's a whole different feeling because before it's like why like my looks like how can I try to fix it myself but then now why am I not doing what they're doing that's not in my control it is in a way but it's not all in my control so I'm allowing myself to sort of recognize when I'm starting to spiral and saying okay put this down you need to go do something else and just sort of remind yourself of you know who you are and what you're doing um those are those are the two things that sort of they get me yeah oh the comparison one i think is so huge especially with social media i know it's like almost a topic that's over talked about but yet it's constantly felt like um even even myself you know while go on a trip and i like making reels lately it's like fun it's therapeutic like find music and capture videos and and a trip that we recently went on will look beautiful online right there's music there's like kind of a vintage filter and giggling and laughter and then like the actual trip is like diaper brash grumpiness arguing about where to eat you know like none of that's in the real right it's so true and I have to catch myself like okay like it's okay to like create art and present beauty and also like life is does not look like that yes you know it's funny I feel like I've been stopping I've noticed I've been stopping myself from posting content that isn't sort of a call to action or isn't something that's like here's this life lesson and if I post something that's like today today I posted I did a reel for organizing the pantry and that's what the first are the odds that I had the podcast in my I know I know, I know. This was today. sacred timing <laughs> <laughs> to defend yourself you are a meaning maker and that is your art too Oh, thank you. You make meaning in the world with the things you say and how you say it. So I would argue I get where you're going with this. And also, like, how you make meaning is your beautiful art. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I love it. And and I even with reels, I sometimes will stop myself because I'm like, well, I need to have like these great transitions and the filter needs to be right. And it needs to be aesthetically pleasing when someone watches it. But then I'm like, "What what am I doing? Someone's just going to scroll and watch it and they're going to move on. They're not going <laughs> to whether you 
fade yeah. it in, fade it out. Yeah. Um, this is a random question, but I love it. Well, who is on your playlist today? Honestly, I have been listening. I saw the Barbie movie, and I've been listening to the Billie Eilish song from the Barbie movie over and yeah. over and over, and it's so sad. But I also kind of love sad. I love Billie Eilish. Have you watched her documentary? I saw it. Wait, it's yes, really yes, I have. I have. I have. Okay, yeah. it's good. It's so good. I love documentaries, and I love sad things, and I don't know why, but sad <laughs> things just, I love them. Like, my top three favorite movies is, like, Still Magnolias and Terms of Endearment and beaches and they're all just the most you couldn't get any sadder than these and i just love them so much so like i don't know why but listening to like that kind of music yeah um, it's a vibe it's a mood and it's been my jam lately like that's yeah. sort of what i go for she's brilliant and she's so young i know it blows my mind up. i love that she like creates music in the documentary she creates music with her brother in their yeah. like childhood bedroom yeah amazing yeah, it's like so, so cool. and amazing and i like i will go down i will spiral when i think about like people like taylor swift and just seeing like her influence and her power of bringing all of these people to all of these stadiums can like night after night after night and i just want to be a fly on the wall and i want to know like what like you're this person and like you're always this person but at night you're this like superstar look bringing all these people but like what do you do when you wake up in the morning and what do you have for breakfast and then what do you do like leading up to it do you do like normal things or like i don't know i have so many questions you know are you a swifty i am i feel like i was a much bigger one when i was younger okay are you you go to her heiress tour no did you i did my friend fahad got tickets and yeah how was it I was pregnant and had a sinus infection and I thought it was really loud and yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. It was, it was, it lives up to all the hype. Like it, it is more than a concert. It is hard to describe. It is truly an experience. Have you, have you always been like big into concerts or festivals? No, you know, I'm not like, like I said, I was like, this is really loud. I guess concerts are loud. I, I'm, I don't think I'm like a regular concert goer. I'm not into them necessarily, but um, my friend, my good friend got tickets and we always like exchange Swifty dialogue together and it felt yeah, totally appropriate and exciting to go with I him. feel like I'd been to three concerts in my life and I think my first one was NSYNC. I know my oh. first one. Um, I was a Backstreet Boys girl. Were you? Yeah, like the, oh. the millennial, millennium yeah. tour. That yeah. was maybe I was in like fifth or sixth grade. I don't well, know. I can't do math. But um, in like their new CD came out and like their CD was in my backpack with like the tickets to go see it. Um, Who's your favorite on NSYNC? Joey. Joey. Wow. Because I love Joey, but I love Joey. I think my second concert was Ed Sheeran way later. Okay. And my last concert was Sarah Bareilles. Oh, Okay. Boy bands were classic when we were growing up. We're the same age. I'm 35, so you're 34. Yeah. Yeah, we grew up with the same music. I was also, Alanis Morissette changed my life. Yeah. So yeah. good. Jagged Little Pill came out when I was young. And Paramore, I was a big Paramore fan. Oh, nice. They're still big. I right? know. Making yeah. a comeback. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was never really a concert or festival person just because I felt so, like, 
insecure when I was there. It's just me standing in a place where a lot of people could be staring at me. Yeah. Um, I just never really felt fully comfortable going, but it's the, when I went to the Ed Sheeran concert, it was like the first concert I'd been to in a very, very long time. And it was such a different experience because I, I was known. And so I wasn't being stared at. It was just a lot of people who were like wanting photos and coming up to me, like groups of people, which was so sweet and amazing. I love it when it happens, but it was just such a different experience. So like me before would have never, ever imagined anything like that happening. That that leads to one of my questions was, um, what has been the best part of being a public figure? And one of the harder parts is, is one of the best parts. Do you like being recognized? Is that fun? I do. It's fun. I think I appreciate it more just because it's more of like it reaffirms that what I'm doing is sort of working because a lot of my job is through social media or speaking events where I, I'm in a room with a certain amount of people. And oftentimes I, I can see the comments, but it's so different when you see people in person and yeah. in 2019, at the end of 2019, I went to Egypt and I spoke at the World Youth Conference. So it was like teenagers from all over the world. Wow. And it was the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, my like people know who I am all over the world. And there are people from so many countries who were coming up to me and they were saying, we came here because we knew you were coming here. And I think that like moments like that, I, I just love and I adore and and you know there 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 are moments where it can be a little bit much, especially if I'm alone. Yeah. Um, but that like I I love it and it's amazing. And I think one of one of the greatest parts that I'm more I'm more grateful for because it's great, it's amazing, and I have such amazing opportunities, and I I get to do really great things and go to really amazing places. But I've been able to to really make some really lifelong friendships with really amazing people who are famous and who aren't famous and to be able to have those connections uh behind the scenes is, is so amazing and um one of my my really close friends and I'm just I'm so 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 grateful for her uh is Eva Mendez and she and I have mm. got really close throughout the years and she's been someone that I can really lean on and talk to and and I'm, I'm so grateful to have her in my life yeah uh, and I I think uh I, you can connect with anyone, Lizzie. You're just that type of person where you just you connect with human beings because they're human beings, whether it's Eva Mendez or whether it's someone coming up to you on the street. I know they're going to get the same Lizzie either way. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. I'll overwhelm myself if I, if I try to be anybody else. I can't do it. <laughs> okay, our final question today, and I've heard this asked to you, and um, um, I, I love your approach how your answers might change on the daily because I feel that way about myself. So today, Lizzie, and this is our final question for the interview, how do you define beauty? I define this, this, this answer will stay the same because I believe in okay. this so wholeheartedly. Mm. I define beauty as recognizing and owning your own uniqueness. To me, that is beauty. Being able to say, I don't look like everybody else and this is something that I that I have this the scar or anything like that that I that I love and I own and this is who I am and and I'm not gonna hide it to me that is beauty beauty isn't materialistic beauty isn't trying to be like everybody else and wanting to 
do what you can to make your body physically look like somebody else. To me, it's owning the skin you were born in and not just the outside, but also more than anything, the inside. Hmm. I love that answer because you live that answer. You do. I and try. everything you write and say and speak into the world, you you are that. Thank, so thank you. you. Thanks for being that. On behalf of all women and people that need courageous, vulnerable, brave voices, and that's all of us, I believe, wow. you are such a North Star in this world and how to do that. So, Well, that means a lot coming from you. I appreciate that. Uh, well, I loved talking to you, Lizzie. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for doing this. This is a big deal that you're here. Oh, thanks. I would do anything for you, of course. Uh, well, you're the best. Um, I will end there. And um, Lizzie, if our listeners want to find you, learn more about you, um, purchase your documentaries, your books, your things, where can they find you? Uh, on social media, I'm just little Lizzie V on everything. And then on all my socials, there's links to everything. So it's there. Awesome. <laughs> all right. And we'll post them too in our podcast comments. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Lizzie. Of course. Thank you. I hope this interview will help you approach your day, life, or even this hour a little more curiously. Thanks for joining us on Curiously with me, Erica Graham, and my producer, Danny Hooper. We hope you will subscribe and continue to listen wherever you get your podcasts.